Um, let's get right into our word this morning. We have been in our series. We're going to continue on. I only have another week. I'll, I'll wrap this series up next Sunday. But we've been talking about hot topics for hot times. And this morning, we're going to be talking about purity. Purity. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica, verse number 3, says, For this is the will of God. Everybody say, will of God. This is one of those things you don't have to pray about. It's one of those things you don't have to fast about. It's one of those things that is, is a declarative statement. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how, notice what he says, you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now, as I said, I'm going to wrap this series up next Sunday. We uh, may cut me down just a tad bit. Uh, we, we've talked about many things. This, I, I hope that you've enjoyed this series. It's been a very difficult series. Uh, difficult, not in the sense of, I don't believe preaching God's word. I do. Uh, that I'm a word man. That's all I know. Uh, difficult in the sense that we live in a world today that this, these messages affect everybody. Uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to say last Sunday, I preached on homosexuality, and, and I've, I've had some encounters this week with some folks that had questions. And, and in fact, I was at a store uh, yesterday or Friday, I don't remember what day it was, and a lady came up to me uh, and said, hey, I, I just need to know, I need some clarification. Uh, because, and here's the thing, I'm finding today that there are many, many believers that are struggling with the issues of transgenderism, homosexuality, uh, and the reason that they're struggling with it is because it is in their family. And, and it's a very difficult thing. It's a very painful thing because our society has so now twisted that if you stand for moral purity, if you stand on Judeo-Christian values, then that is interpreted as though you don't love them. And that was the question, is I love my, this person, but I don't believe that. And I, and I said, well, here's the thing. We could... The world has a way of manipulating people to try to compromise their stand on God's word to go along with what's happening in our society. We can never condone what God has condemned. And I say that because, again, even if it affects your family, then we still have an obligation to stand anchored in his truth. Not the opinion. Listen, opinions vary. The opinions are all over the map. But we're talking about God's truth. This is what the whole series has been about, uh, cutting through and wading through all of the rhetoric that's out there and focusing on what does the Bible say. If I believe that the Bible is the authority, the ultimate authority in God's Word in my life, then I have to anchor in its truth. Regardless of what society says, listen, the Bible is not one of these living documents that, that evolves over time and over cultures. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, your word is established. Uh, so my, my point being is this, uh, be very tactful, and, and this is what I said, is that you can never, you should never compromise your faith in God's word to be manipulated into something that you don't agree with simply because it hits home. But how we deal with these hot issues is very sensitive, uh, and we should not be uh, uncouth or untactful in how we deal with other people. It doesn't do any good to berate anybody. It doesn't do any good to call them names. I've known people that have kicked people out of the house because of them uh, choosing a lifestyle that they don't condone at home. Again, be very careful about that. That's all I'm saying. But never allow yourself to be manipulated 
into believing something that is contrary to Scripture. Amen? So, so anyway, that's kind of a long introduction to say we've been talking about this series. Now, we're going to wrap this up next Sunday. I'll have one more message in this series. Uh, and, and these sermons, let me just tell you, they are archived on our website. So if you ever have any questions or you ever want to go back and be refreshed in some of these hot-button issues, they're on the website. Please avail yourself to them and look at them. Because, again, I, I've tried to give a lot of Scripture, a lot of information that, that cuts through all of the drama of today and just speaks what God says um, when, especially as we see the moral and spiritual fabric of our society erode. How many see that right now? The moral and spiritual fabric of our nation and Western culture in particular is eroding faster than anyone can even imagine. Now, Paul said this. Paul said in writing to Timothy right before the coming of the Lord, here's what he said. He said there would be perilous. Anybody remember? He said perilous times. My next series I'll be starting here in, in just a few weeks is uh, the 11th hour. We're going to be talking about end-time prophetic stuff that's going on. But but he said perilous times would come, perilous times. Now, what he described as these perilous times, one of the indicators that he said was that there would be men who would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, think about that. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, this is the attitude that says anything goes. It's the, it's the attitude that says, if it feels right, it must be right. If it feels good, go ahead and do it. That's kind of the attitude. It becomes, uh, so what happens in a society that, that lives by that anything goes mindset is this, that pleasure becomes the ultimate pursuit in life. The whole goal in life is nothing more than a pursuit of pleasure. In fact, the word, theological word is hedonism. Hedonism is a word that simply means uh, pleasure is the highest aim for humanity. And isn't that where we live today? Isn't that where we live today, where people's aim is about what pleases them, what makes them feel good, what makes them happy? As I mentioned it last week when I was preaching on homosexuality, that the end result of a society that has totally rejected God is that when they know what is right and they continue to do what is, uh, they know what is right, yet they continue in their sin, and not only do they continue in their sin, they now celebrate people who sin along with them. That, that's the end result, and that's kind of where we are. Today, I, I want to talk about purity, and I'll, I'll say this right off the bat. Purity isn't just about sex, okay? Purity, uh, it, it, when it comes to biblical purity, it also talks about the condition of the mind and the heart. Because the Bible calls us, God calls us to be pure in heart, and pure in mind. But as the, today's message, we're going to focus on purity as it relates to sex because this is such a stronghold in our culture today. I mean, there are people that are living in bondage right now. In fact, I've got a book in my office that's entitled uh, The Sin in the Pew. And what that book is about, it's about the, the pornography uh, pandemic, if you will, in society. That, that, that uh, in, in the average church, that there are 40 to 60% of people that are viewing online pornography in the service. It, it, is, it is something that has, that has captivated people. It has ensnared them, and it is deceiving them. You know, one, is, one thing is very, very certain. We live in a sex-crazed society. How I many would, would say yes? We live in a sex-crazed society. With, with the sexual revolution of the 60s, we have reaped a footloose and fancy-free view of sex that only continues to push the boundaries of decency. Society calls this sexual freedom. The Bible calls it sexual immorality. There's a difference. Sexual immorality has plagued the fall of man, or excuse me, plagued humanity since the fall. 
I mean, think about this. When God created Adam and Eve, okay, and he placed them in the garden, how did the Bible describe them? The Bible said they were naked and not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. Why? Because there was purity. They were pure in heart. They were pure in mind. They had a relationship with God. So they were naked. They didn't think anything about it. But remember what happened when they fell, when, when sin entered into the world? You remember what they did? They hid themselves, and God said, well, why did you do that? And what did they say? Because we were naked. What happened? You see, when they sinned, it corrupted the creation, creative order of God. When they sinned, all of creation was impacted by that fall. And again, now we don't, understand, we don't know the impact of that sexual fall between Adam and Eve. We don't know what it did to them particularly, um, but for sure, sex would never be the same. And from that moment on, from that moment on, sexual immorality became a very dominant theme in the history of Israel and of mankind. It has been dogging mankind since that day. In fact, in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, not too far after the fall, what do we find? The Bible says that, the, that we find the daughters of men cohabitating with the sons of God. And then we read about Noah's nakedness. We read of Lot's daughters having sex with their father to produce children. Then we read about Judah having sex with his daughter-in-law, thinking that she was a Canaanite cult prostitute. Then there was the sexual perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 and Jude, excuse me, Judges 19, and the rest of the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament uh, talks about the devastating consequences of sexual immorality. Sexual sin contributed to the downfall of people like Samson and David and Solomon and the entire nation of Israel. I mean, even think about Moab. Where did Moab, came, where did Moab came from, uh, come from? I can't even talk. Where did it come from? It came from an incestuous relationship with, uh, with Lot. That's where it came from. And, and so they were cursed because of the, sin, the sexual immorality that they unleashed on the nation of Israel. And, and you know what? You say, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. Well, but the New Testament was not exempt. The New Testament church was not exempt. I mean, they were not exempt from sexual temptation uh, and immorality. Churches like Corinth, Thessalonica, Ephesus, uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, they were all warned and rebuked regarding immorality that was being practiced by their members. They weren't talking about the world. They were talking about in the church house. They were warned and rebuked repeatedly because of the sexual immorality that pervaded that, those churches. In fact, if you remember the story in the Corinthian letter, remember the story in the Corinthian letter? They were, they were proud to be tolerant of a young man who was in a relationship with his father's wife. Something that even the Corinthians didn't do. And yet, that's where we are. Sexual, the sexual revolution greatly impacted our culture, including the church and our homes. And I don't know that anybody here would disagree with this statement that we are living in a hypersexed, crazed society. It's hypersex, say. Uh, Hugh Hefner. Now, I'm not taking instruction from Hugh Hefner, obviously, but here's what he said years ago. Hugh Hefner said this years ago, that sex is purely a biological response, and to suppress that desire is harmful. Now, think about that. Again, I wouldn't recommend taking advice from Hugh Hefner, but he, this is the hedonistic mindset that pervades our culture today, that sex is purely a biological process, and to suppress that is damaging and harmful to the individual. Sex is everywhere. Think about it. Sex, it sells most every product that we purchase. 
It is in every show that we watch. It's in the lyrics of most every song that we hear sung in secular music. It is taught in our schools. And again, the age in which they're teaching it is younger and younger. Because if you believe that sex is just a biological outflow, again, a biological process, and it has no ramifications on the well-being of the individual, then, then you can teach that to young, younger and younger ages and not think anything about it. I mean, we have classes that, uh, that pass out, schools that pass out condoms, and they enjoy, uh, again, the mantra, again, in, in public school education when it comes to sex ed is that safe sex, safe sex is normal, it is right, and it should be encouraged. And so they dole out condoms and other birth control stuff freely and without ever any thought about what it does to an individual. Again, opinions abound about whether this is cool or not. But the question is, what does God's Word have to say about it? Again, we could start over here and go all the way around the room, and I'm sure every one of us would have an opinion about what uh, sexual immorality is and what the protocols are for proper sexual purity in our, in, according to God's Word. We all have opinions, but again, we've got to go back to what does God say in His Word. The Bible has a lot to say about morality. Has a lot to say about purity. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Did you get that? Who sees God? It's the pure in heart. It's the pure in heart. Maybe one of the reasons that we're not seeing answers to our prayer, maybe one of the reasons that we are not feeling close to God is because we are impure. I mean, how many of you would drink a cup of coffee on a Sunday, set your mug up, and next, the next Sunday, you know, grab that same mug without washing it and fill it with coffee again? Anybody do that? I wouldn't recommend it, by the way. But that, that's, the way, that's the way a lot of believers live their lives. We want to come in on Sunday and say, fill me up, Lord. Here's my cup. Fill it up. But then the rest of the week, we want to live impure lives, impure thoughts and deeds and things that we do. And then we want to come back the next Sunday and say, here's my cup, fill it up. But it's still dirty. It's still dirty. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, in our text, Paul says this. He said, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, if you know God, you have no excuse. For God did not call us to impurity, but to holiness. What does the Bible say? Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. He goes on writing in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6. He said, flee. Everybody say flee. flee. That's not that little not, uh, nagging insect. Not F-L-E-A, this is F-L-E-E. Flee. Flee sexual immorality. And then he goes on, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Now, looking at these verses, again, there are many other verses I could have chosen to go along with this, this message this morning. And again, these have been very tough, so thank you for your prayers because, uh, again, they affect people. But I have an obligation, and I think it's important that, that, listen, the only hope for our nation is God. It's not the next election. It's not, it, it, the, the only hope for our nation is God. 
And, and again, the, the revival that we pray for is predicated not on the world changing, but the church changing. Second Chronicles 7.14 tells us that. So, so again, when you look at these verses, there are many more. When we start talking about purity, it's primarily, it, listen, it's not primarily about sex or what we do and we don't do. Purity isn't necessarily about what we read or what we say or what we watch. Here's the thing I found about purity in the Bible. It's primarily about God. Purity is primarily about God. For instance, here, 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 write this down. If you're a note taker, write this down. Purity is the personal decision to glorify God with our body, our soul, and our spirit. It is the personal decision to glorify God with our body, our soul, and our spirit. So when it comes to purity, the question is not, can I? The question is, will this honor God? See, that's a totally different way of living. It's not, can I do this, but will this bring honor to God? And I think that's not just about sexual issues. I think it's about every issue. Every decision that we make in life, everything that we do, we need to ask, does this, will this glorify Him? If it does not, then we probably shouldn't have anything to do with it. We have to ask that question. Will this, will this, will God be honored if I watch this movie? Will God be honored if I wear this outfit? Boy, that preach to you. Will God be honored if I go to this club, if I go clubbing with my friends? Will God be honored if I hang out with this group of people? I, I made this statement in early service. Most of you know my story. I was never what they call an addict. I was never an addict of things. I was what they referred to as a social addict. Anybody ever heard that term before? I was a social addict. And what that meant was... The things I got into as a teenager in, in, in school depended on the crowd that I hung out with. You know, if I, hang, if I was hanging out with my drinking cr uh, crowd, I'd be drinking with them. If I was hanging out with my pot crowd, I'd be smoking pot with them. If I was hanging out with some of the other druggies, I'd be doing some of the other druggy stuff with them. That was just, that was just it. I was a social addict, and I, I went round and round all the time. Uh, what I'm saying is that there was a point to that. Hey, when you get my age, I'm telling you. <laughs> so so the, the point being is this. I have to ask the question, will God be honored by what I do? Everything I do needs to come back to that. And if God's not going to be honored, then I shouldn't be doing it. I know this sounds prudish, right? And I know it sounds for a lot of people, and particularly if you're younger than me, it probably you're like, preacher, you're out of touch with reality. But here's the thing. If you're serious, if we're serious about tapping into the abundant life Jesus purchased for us, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, but I am come that you might have life and have it in all of its abundance. See, we want to have the abundance, but we won't, don't want to meet the condition of it. We bring our dirty cups and we expect him to fill it up. He will not do that. Again, as long as we harbor impure thoughts, words, and deeds, as long as we continue to cover the truth, we can't get any better. In fact, Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So how can we, here's a question for the last few moments. How can we remain pure in an impure world? Again, I, I've, been, I've been labeled a lot of things in my almost uh, over 30 years of ministry. I'm a throwback. I'm, 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 prude, I'm a prude. I'm against people having fun. No, I, I'm, I'm all for people having fun. 
but I'm for them tapping into what only he can supply. So how can I maintain purity in an impure world? It's a great question because every day you and I are bombarded with messages and our children are getting it more than you can even imagine that contradict God's word. So how can we be pure in an impure world? Let me give you a couple things. Number one, commit to God's standard. That's it. Commit to God's standard. Again, uh, if you live by his standards, not just be right up front with you, you are going to be labeled as out of touch and approved. I promise you. They will look at you like something happened to you, like something fell on your head, and you've got a few screws short or loose up there, or maybe even the nuts that are gone. <laughs> if you maintain that purity. But this is where it begins. This is where it begins. Remember, a pure heart will see God. A pure heart sees God. So we have two choices, either God rule or self-rule. You do know there's no, there's no in-between. I'm either, I either choose to follow him or I choose to follow myself. The Bible says that the way of a man is not within himself. It is not in a man who walks to determine his path. I, I'm not capable. I'm not capable of determining my future and my steps. Only he can. So again, my choice is God's, God rule, self-rule. His standards are my own standards. And God has weighed in, by the way. God has weighed in. He has set standards for sex that are rooted in his creative order. Now, here's the thing, and I know this may come as a surprise to the younger generation, but sex is God's idea. It's not a new invention. I'm a product. <laughs> that may be crude, and I don't mean it's kind of like that, but I'm just, I'm just saying. It, it's not a new phenomenon. The new generation, the, the Gen Zs or ABCs or wherever they're at now in the alphabet, I don't really know anymore. But wherever they are, I mean, this is not your invention. This was God's idea. He created it. He designed sex for the purpose of marriage. That's it. See, sex is more than a physical act. It is more than a physical act. It unites two hearts, two individuals, in an intimate way, and it bonds them to each other. When, when God said, this, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and the two be joined together and become one flesh, that is the intimacy in which he's talking. You take two individuals, you bring them together and that sexual intimacy and the, in the act of that sexual in, intimacy, there is a bonding that takes place that is deeper than the physical act itself. It's important we understand that. Sex is exclusively for a husband and a wife in a committed relationship uh, marriage for the, ple- for the purposes of pleasure, procreation, and spiritual bonding. And when, used with, and when, the, when these guardrails are ignored, listen to me, it causes all sorts of spiritual and emotional consequences. See, the problem today, and, and, and listen, God wasn't being an ogre. I know, I know when people read this, and if you listen to some of the modern uh, uh, talking heads in, in today's world, you know, they want to tell you that Christianity is anti-women and it's anti, a bunch of baloney. My theological term is B-O-L-O-G-N-A. You know, they just, that's just the way it is. But, but here, here's the thing. They, they want to take the, the limitations of Scripture and they want to twist it around to, again, just like Satan did with Eve. Remember what he did? Did God really mean it like that? So they take God's teachings on sex and the relationship in a, in, a, in a committed marriage and they twist it around and say, well, God didn't really mean it like that. As long as you're committed to... So, so again, you see how the devil does. He asked Eve, said, Eve, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? 
Oh, you know, he didn't mean it like you think he meant it because, I mean, he knows that the day you eat of that, you'll become wise. He does the same thing today. See, God, he's not an ogre up there trying to prevent us from the pleasure of sexual relationships. He created the boundaries to protect us. And when we consistently disregard those boundaries, listen, we suffer. I, I don't care what the, free, the, 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 the sexual freedom mantra is in our culture today, the safe sex mantra that's going on through campuses. When we violate God's guardrails regarding sexual purity, we suffer. I mean, think about this. Is it any wonder we have a major crisis today with mental health issues? Again, I'm not making light of that. Please don't read between the lines. But when we violate God, listen, God created me. He knows my innermost being. He knew me when he was forming me in my mother's womb. He knows everything about me. He knows, and he puts guardrails there to protect me. And when I violate those guardrails, I bring on the consequences of my own choices. And today, one of those choices is that we're seeing a major spike in mental illness. When we take what was designed as a significant moment with our husband and our wife, and we casually pass that thing around to any willing partner, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. I, I, I don't have time. I've shared this with you before. My wife's sitting over here, uh, and she could verify the story. When, when I was sexually active as a teenager, because, again, I grew up in church, but I bought into the lie that says it's just a, it's just a biological function, and it doesn't really matter. So it's just, just, just something that men do and women do. And so you know what? As a teenager, I was sexually active. And I thought, you know what? It's not hurting anybody until I decided to marry my wife. And then all of that, all of a sudden, came back to me. And it, bothered, it hurt me. And to the point where I sat down with her. Remember this? I sat down with my wife and I said, listen, I need to be honest with you. I didn't keep myself for you. And if you don't want to marry me, I understand that. Thank the Lord she had a forgiving heart and she married me. And here we are, almost 36. <laughs> almost. Th- <laughs> oh, I thought it was 46. Okay, 36. No, I just <laughs> Almost 36 years ago. September the 5th will be 36 years. Wow. But you know, thank you. <laughs> but, but the point is, it bothered me. It brought back emotions that I shouldn't have had. It brought some bonding with people that I should never have been bonded to. See, God gave us, and I, and I don't mean to go there, but I'm going to go there. Listen, if you're a young person in the house, God gave you something you can only give away one time in your life. I've said this for years and years and years. Your virginity is something God gifted to you that you are to give to your, your husband or your wife on your wedding night as a consummation of your relationship, and from then it begins to grow. And today our culture says it doesn't matter. Just go spread yourself around to any willing partner. And God says, no, don't do that. Commit to my standard. The second thing, that, so that's the first step to purity. Second standard is this, guard your thoughts. Guard your thoughts. You know, every temptation begins right here. The battle is lost or won right here. Again, we can take this. This runs the gamut. So it's not just about sexual temptations and purity. This is anything. Because our mind, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart's going to, I'm just going to follow my heart. Listen, you're going to follow that heart right off a cliff. 
I'm, I'm telling you, you've got to have something more than just your feelings because your feelings will not always tell you the truth. Not always tell you the truth. The battle begins right here. We lose or win right there. Listen, Satan rarely pushes people off the cliff with one fell swoop. You know what he does most of the time? It's generally a little movement at a time spread out over time. We call that compromise, by the way. So it's a little compromise here and a little compromise here and a little compromise here and a little more here, and then pretty soon we're so far away that we don't even realize how far we've drifted away. Listen, we, uh, it, it begins with that thought. Whatever, listen, whatever gets your attention gets you. Whatever gets your attention gets you. Well, I love him. Don't matter. Wait. Well, he said he wouldn't love me. He wouldn't wait on me. If I then kick him to the curb. Take that hand, ball it up like that. If he keeps propositioning you like that, and just rear back and... (laughs) And then ask for forgiveness. (laughs) 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 You're going to poke my preacher's talking about violence. Think about this, a young couple dating is deceived in the thinking that sexual intimacy before marriage is normal and right. And so Satan paints this beautiful picture of how wonderful it is. And, 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 and I, I've heard these excuses, because I used them when I was a teenager. Well, we, we plan to get married. We, we plan to get married, so it's okay. It's okay that we do this. So, so here's what Satan does. He paints this picture, and, 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 and so they're deceived into thinking that they can go into and violate these guardrails and enjoy sexual intimacy that God has reserved for marriage, he gets them to thinking that they can have sex with no consequences and that they can enjoy sex with no risks. So here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't show them the potential for STDs. Do you know there's some STDs out in our world right now that there are no cures for? But he doesn't want us to see that. He just wants you to, and, and, and if we do, somebody says, well, you've got to be careful because there's a lot of STDs that are floating around out there. We say something like this, it, it'll, it'll never happen to me. Isn't that what we do? It, it'll, it'll never happen to me. So he doesn't want to see the risk of, of STDs or unplanned pregnancy. Oh, that happened to them. It doesn't happen to me. I had a young lady one time that one time, just one time, she, she gave in had a sexual relationship with her boyfriend who later dumped her. She got pregnant. She came to me. She said, Pastor, I did, it was just one time. I said, it was just one time too many. So he doesn't want to paint that. And, and, and remember, when I preached about abortion, remember, 83% of the abortions that have been done are, were done because of fornication, sexual immorality. He doesn't, see, he doesn't let you see that. He doesn't let you see the emotional pain of crossing the line that God said we're not to cross. It's the same for a man or woman in the, in the workplace that the enemy comes up and says, well, you know what, you need to spice your life up a little bit. Go ahead and have an affair. In fact, there was a website. It's been, it made news years ago about a lady, I forget what her name was, that had a website where you could go on. If you're traveling around the country, you could go to this website. You can hook up with a lady at that destination and your wife would never know about it. That's where we are. In writing to the Galatians, Paul explains that as Christ followers, we have two natures that war within us. 
We have an old nature, the old sinful nature, and we have a new nature in Christ. Remember, Paul said, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a, a new creation. New. So we have those two natures. It's like the old story. Which one wins? Well, whichever one you feed the most. Really, the old nature or the new nature. We are constantly at war with each other. And I'll be honest with you, I've been walking with the Lord now since I rededicated my life in 1985. And, and, and it doesn't get any easier. I mean, the war will continue until the Lord comes back or calls us home. Our thoughts become our words. Our words become our actions. And our actions become our habits. When we fill our minds with the filth of the world, filth of the world, uh, excuse me, filth becomes our world. Think about that. When we fill our minds, and, and, and you know, with the filth of the world, filth becomes our world. You know, used to, you had to go to the store and buy these magazines behind covers. And then you could late, stay up late at night and catch it on late night television. Now you have channels exclusively for that, and you can subscribe to if you want to. Now you can get on your computer anytime you want to, or you can use your device. Kids sitting in school watching pornography on their device. It's everywhere. One of the reasons that men and women struggle with lust and anger is because they feed those emotions throughout the day. Think how, I mean, think about this. Think how challenging it is today to go through the day without being exposed to sex or violence. I mean, just think for a moment. I mean, I'm not talking about going and purposely looking for something. I'm talking about just in the world that we live in, find, figure out how difficult, just think about how difficult it is to go through a day without being inundated with sexual innuendo and violence at every turn. I mean, again, no matter what you listen to, no matter what you watch, sex and violence are a constant theme of everything. It's, again, it sells every product. It, it's, in, it's, it's everywhere. And I realize that some would criticize this message and tell me I'm out of touch or maybe I'm pushing legalism. I do understand this thing could be taken to the far extremes. But listen to me, entertainment is not just entertainment. It is a powerful influencer on how we live and how we think. If you don't believe that that child sitting there being babysat by Disney will be affected, sit down for an hour and watch what they're watching on TV. If you don't think that those shows that seem so innocent because they're animated are not preaching messages to our children, sit down and watch. They're being inundated with these messages. Again, I'm not being legalistic about it. I'm just simply saying that it is everywhere. We are, we are, being, we are being flooded. And, and, and I said this, I preached about it last week. I mentioned that when they, when they made con, uh, the constitutional right for same-sex marriage in 2015, I told you it was going to open the door. And, it, and everything imaginable and things that we couldn't even imagine have been flooding out of that door ever since. If our sinful nature controls our mind, Paul said, there's death. But if the Holy Spirit controls our mind, there is life and there is peace. Is it any wonder that we have so many emotional, mental health issues in our society? Paul said, if we allow the emotions of our, of our humanity to control us, then we, that is death. But if we allow the Holy Spirit, that's why the Bible says to walk in the Spirit, Walk in the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. Because there's life and there's peace. We've thrown off restraints, and each generation seems to be pushing the limits farther and farther in, in the realm of decency. When we sow to the wind and ignore His guardrails, there will be consequences. The last one is this. 
Establish boundaries. If you're going to live pure in an impure world, go ahead and establish boundaries. That's something I didn't do as a teenager. And here's the thing. The time for setting boundaries is before you need them. If you've ever driven in a mountainous area up in the mountains, they they don't build a highway, open it up, and let people start traveling through and then come back and build guardrails along the side. They complete the highway. They put the guardrails there to keep people from veering off and going over the edge. What I'm saying is the time for boundaries is right now before we need them. I mean, with Joseph, think about Joseph. When Joseph experienced the temptation from Mrs. Potiphar, remember what he did? He ran. He, he didn't wait until he was in that moment to decide what to do. He didn't get there like a deer in headlights. Oh, my God, oh, my God, what do I do? What do I do? He had already determined in his heart. Remember what he determined? He had settled in his mind that he would not sin against God. He had already, the, the time is not when we're in the back seat with our boyfriend or our girlfriend, or wherever. I mean, again, I'm dating myself, so. <laughs> the time is not in that compromising place. The time is now that if I get put in that situation, this is what I'm going to do. With this, with this mindset, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, with this mindset, whatever temptation came, see, it didn't matter what the temptation was. When you set your boundaries and put your guardrails in place, it doesn't matter what the temptation is. When the temptation comes, if your boundaries are in place intact and your guardrails are intact, then, then those temptations are no match for you because you've already settled what you're going to do. He said, I will not sin against God. And that was his boundary. So let me ask you, do you have boundaries? Do you have boundaries? What about that flirtatious man in the office or that flirtatious woman at the office? Do you have boundaries? Do you have boundaries? What about that neighbor? One lady called the sheriff's department. She said, see, I want to I report a, a man, my neighbor. My neighbor's indecently exposed. Sheriff sent out a deputy. Deputy goes out and says, ma'am, I'm here on your complaint. He said, yeah, I'm reporting my neighbor. He's indecently exposed. He looks around and said, what neighbor? He said, well, that neighbor right there. He said, that one way down there? How in the world can you see that? He said, here's my telescope. Do you you have boundaries? In this depraved world that we live in, okay, I would encourage you not to wing it. (laughs) I would encourage you not to wing it. Satan walks about, the Bible says, as a roaring lion doing what? Seeking whom he may devour. If you don't know this, he's on the prowl. And we better not underestimate his deception. We do so at our peril. I mean, think about this. If he could get Eve to eat the forbidden fruit... If he could get Abraham to lie about his wife, Sarah, if he could get David to commit adultery and Peter to deny Jesus, then we're not any match for him. And the arrogancy to think that we can handle any situation that we got ourselves into is is a downfall. The Bible says, be careful about how you think about yourself because if you think much, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. You know what boundaries also include? Being careful who you bring into a close relationship with you. We don't, talk, we don't talk enough about this. But here's the thing. Not everyone is destined to be your BFF. I know that bursts the bubble in a lot of people. Because <laughs> we live in a time today where you, people get mad because you're talking to somebody else and you're supposed to be their friend. 
I thought when we got out of our teenage years, we would put the drama aside, but it seemed like the drama has only increased. We got adult women acting like teenagers because they're mad because so-and-so went and talked to so-and-so. Hey, I'm just giving the message. If the shoe fits, wear it. If not, kick it down the road. It might fit somebody. <laughs> but, but, but be careful. Not everybody's destined to be your, your BFF. Learn that early, young person. Listen, I, I'm a people person. I love people. I love serving people. I love being around people. Again, I, I mentioned this on Wednesday night when we were shut down for COVID uh, and, and I was preaching to an empty house. We were on, online only for a, a few weeks. It, it, it bothered me. It was difficult. Then we had people putting silhouettes in the chairs. I thought that was really cool. That helped. And they were, they were normally where they normally sit. So it was kind of cool to look out and see pictures of people in the pews there, the chairs. The first Sunday back, I cried. Sitting right down here during worship, I cried. Because I miss, I love being around people. I love serving people, helping people any way I can. But here's the thing. I'm very careful about who I bring into my close inner circle. It's not because I, I think, listen, I, it's not wise to attempt deep friendships with everybody you meet. Jesus had thousands of people that followed him. And of those thousands... He chose 12 to be close. And of the 12, he chose three to be in that inner circle. That tells me not everybody has the right to be your BFF. Not everybody, listen, I understand this. In 30 years of ministry, not everybody has my best interest at heart. One day I'm a hero, the next day I'm a zero. If I don't perform the way somebody thinks I ought to perform, then I'm the gossip that they get, they talk about at work on Mondays. So are you, by the way. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. So be careful because if you, if you invest yourself, and that's where the sexual purity comes in. If you are spreading yourself out, you are setting yourself up for a very difficult life. Depression and anxiety and all of those things. Choose your friends wisely. Look for people who build you up and bring out the best in you, not tear you down. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals and you're not going to be the exception by the way see when you and I I'm closing guys come on back I'm going to wrap this up when you and I walk in purity listen to me God is glorified and we are satisfied I, I know that sound that's counterintuitive to think like that because every one of us has a it's a God-shaped vacuum inside of us, and we try to fill it with all kinds of things. There's a, there's a void inside of us, and we, we're trying to fill it with this and with this and with this and with this, and only God can fill that. And when, you, when you're full, God, listen, there's a place in God where all of the monuments of man are traded away for moments in his presence. When you find that place, you know, who was it that Mick Jagger sang, I can't get no satisfaction? As far as I know, he's still singing that song. He still ain't got no satisfaction. And you know what? He'll never find any until he bows at the foot of the cross and confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then all of that searching will be over and he'll find a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. That's only then. It's only then. When we walk in purity, God is glorified in our commitments to his word and then we are satisfied at the deepest level possible. David prayed this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. That should be our daily prayer. I, I've taught on this a few times on our Wednesday night teaching series. 
I taught on the tabernacle. And if you remember the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, when you entered the gate on the east side, when you came into the tabernacle, when you pass through that multicolored fabric gate, the first thing you came to was the brazen altar. And it was at that brazen altar that you offered the sacrifices that the Old Testament required for the, the cleansing and redemption of, uh, again, the cleansing of sin. And, 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 and once you offered, the, the priest would offer the burnt offerings. Then the next thing that you see, if you were content to continue to the tabernacle proper, was the, bra- the brazen laver. That, that's kind of a word that it just means a wash basin, okay? It's a, br- a brass tub, if you will. That tub was there for a significant reason. Because once they had been forgiven at the altar where their sins, again, the purging through the fire, now they were there at the brazen labor. They had to constantly wash themselves. Their hands would get dirty with the sacrifices. Their feet would get dirty with the, with the dirt of the, of, the, of the ground. And they could never go into the presence of the Lord stained. So God prescribed for them this brazen labor where they, where they were to go to and they were to wash themselves so they could present themselves pure before the Lord. If you fast forward to where we are in the New Testament, it's the same thing for us. The washing of the labor is, is today's New Testament version of washing with the Word. If I come in on a Sunday with a cup and say, fill it up, but then I never do anything to cleanse myself of the filth of the world during the week, I'll come back with a dirty cup the next week. We are to be cleansed by the Word of God. This basin was, again, where they, where they washed throughout the day. It wasn't a one-time process. So what we do here today, you know, when we pray and when we ask God to, to, to create in us a clean heart, that's good for Give us this day our daily bread. Take care of today. But you know what? When I get up tomorrow, if the Lord tarries, there'll be more dirt and more filth and I need to wash myself again to present myself pure before the Lord. And then I'll get up on Tuesday and I'll do the same thing and Wednesday and do the same thing. Listen, this, that brazen labor was a reminder that we live in a dirty world. And if you and I want to be clean, then we must be washed regularly in the truth of His Word. Our heart cannot be pure if we allow the stench and filth of the world to stay on us. Is it possible to live pure in an impure world? Absolutely. You see, the thing is, and I'm closing this and we're going to pray. The thing is, God doesn't just call me to a life of, of, uh, of being an overcomer. He empowers me to be an overcomer. He, do, he doesn't just, when I, when I commit my life to him, he doesn't say, okay, now, Mike, just go out and do the best you can. Pat me on the back and send me on my way. He doesn't do that. He empowers me with the Holy Spirit who abides in me to enable me to do what I would normally not be able to do. What does the Bible say? Resist the enemy. The only way I can do that is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The only way I can live pure is through reliance upon the Holy Spirit because left to my own devices, I'll choose sin every time. But if I'm walking in His holiness this way, if this right is right, then I can handle no matter what comes. I want you to stand with me this morning. We only have one more message to go in this series. But I want to to encourage you this morning. 
I've got a book, I've, I've mentioned that I've got a book in my office that talks about the secret in the pew and that talks about the plague of pornography that is, that is in our culture today. Again, I hear a lot of people say, Pastor, why doesn't God answer prayer? Why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God do that? It's the pure in heart that see God. It's the pure in heart that see God. If God is not moving in your life, I'm not, I'm not here by any means saying you're impure. I'm just saying, you know what? Instead of pointing and casting blame, introspectively look at yourself. What is your relationship like with Him? Are you walking in covenant relationship with Him? Do you walk around with this idea that, Lord, will this glorify you? Will this honor you? See, that's a message that we don't hear much. Old-timers used to preach about being consecrated. We don't hear anything about consecrated anymore. We don't even know what consecrated means. Plain, plain language, it just means sold out. You look at the disciples that experienced the most from God as people that went all in. They didn't get there dabble, dabbling their toe in the surface level or the shallows. They jumped right into the deep end and said, Lord, here I am. Have all of me. So let me ask you as we close and online this morning, I want to ask you as well, do you have boundaries today? Is your mind pure? Are you, are you plagued with indecent thoughts? Are you tempted? Again, it, it, listen, it's not a sin to be tempted. Don't walk away and say, preacher says, it's not a sin to be tempted. Okay? You can't stop the flaming arts, the arts, darts, <laughs> arrows of the wicked one. You can quench them with the shield of faith, but you can't stop him shooting them out at, at you. You can, however, stop them from taking dominance in your thought processes. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you, if you're here today and say, you know what, Pastor, I'm struggling in some areas. I, I, I want to be pure in heart. I want to see God. I want to see God in, in his, all of his glory. That's what, show me your glory. He won't do that with a dirty vessel. Paul said, you should be able to control your vessel because you're a part of God's family. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, you know what? I need to get my thought processes in order. Listen, we live in a world that, again, it's negative, 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 negative. I need to bring every thought into captivity. Lord, I need to think different. No more stinking thinking. I want to think proper and I want to think well. Maybe here this morning, and maybe you do have a vice that's gotten hold of you. Maybe it is pornography. Maybe it is magazines. Maybe it is lust. Maybe whatever. Draw that line today. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. And you know what? He, he did it for David. He said, Pastor, I've never committed adultery. Yeah, but David did, and God forgave him. And he said, Create in me a clean heart, and he did. He can do that for you today. Third thing is this. Maybe you need prayer in any area. I always do this every Sunday. If you're here today, you need prayer in any area. I want you to know, we, if you're, even if this is your first time here, we're family. This is my BT family. I love dearly with all of my heart. You don't have to fight these battles by yourself. We will stand in the trenches with you. If you need prayer, I want you to come down for any area. We want to pray with you as they sing this morning. So as they sing, would you come if you need prayer for anything today?
that this morning it's a house of miracles listen before we pray this morning i want to say one thing anytime you preach a message like this how many ever remember the commercials or, or excuse me the little uh, cartoons back years ago that whenever a kid was being tempted to he had a choice to make he had an angel that popped up on one side and had a devil pop up on the other side i'm, I'm just going to say this that anytime a message like this is preached there's a devil that pops up on that side that starts preaching condemnation. That starts telling us how bad we are. Baby, you're, you know, you're no good, you're no good. Baby, you're no good. And just kind of lays in on us on the guilt. Listen, with God, there is therefore now no condemnation. Conviction comes to bring correction, not condemnation. And if you sit here and maybe you're online this morning and you have heard this and, and, it, and, and you feel condemned, Rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. Tell him to leave. Because that is not of God. If it is conviction, repent and move right. That's how we do that. I get so tired of the devil beating people over the head, making them feel bad and ugly and worse and filthy and unworthy. None of us are worthy. His touch makes me worthy. And his grace makes me worthy. Father, I love you today and I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you that your word is true and you said that you will know the truth and it's the truth that sets you free. So may we walk out of here today in freedom. Lord, no longer bondage, no longer a slave to those things of the enemy. May we recognize his schemes to bring guilt and shame and condemnation. There's none of that with you. Lord, bring freedom and forgiveness and new life. Go with us today. May we, may we be empowered by your truth. May we live pure lives so that we might see you. Father, I ask you to give us a great day today. May we walk in victory, not in bondage. I love and I bless each one now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.
Fine.